Every day, our world gets a little more connected, but a little further apart. But then, there are moments that remind us to be more human. Thank you for calling Amica Insurance. Hey, uh, I was just in an accident. Don't worry, we'll get you taken care of. At Amica, we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking. It's human. Amica, empathy is our best policy. It's Friday, July 13th, 2018, and you're listening to Up to Date. I'm Andre Viscontis. And I'm Kishore Hari. It's Friday the 13th. That means it's just a normal day of the year, right? <laughs> yeah, well, maybe a little bit spooky. It's movie night at my son's preschool. That oh, my goodness. spooky to me. <laughs> 30 toddlers all watching Pixar. That's probably loud. I'll, yeah, try, try like 600, because I think it's like the entire summer camp roster. Whoa. <laughs> well, I have a not scary story for once. I have an uplifting story, and that's a, a potential breakthrough in how we fight cancer. A study that came out this week, it actually came out July 11th in Nature from the Alex Marson Lab at UCSF. He actually looked at how can we use CRISPR to change the genomic structure of T cells so that those T cells themselves, which would normally fight off any sort of infection, can be used to target cancerous growth within your own body. That way you get over all of the issues with immunoresponse. You have a group of cells that's already well spread out throughout your body that's already situated for destroying cells. This idea of using T- your own T cells to fight against cancer has been a big area of research for a long period of time. Well, Alex's lab took a slightly different approach. They're going to use CRISPR and use that by delivering it through a virus into the T cell itself altering the genomic structure and have that alter in the genomic structure basically input the target of the cancer cell itself. And the way they did this is they basically applied a small electrical uh, signal across the T cell membrane, which made it permeable to the virus. They basically made it open up, allowed the virus to go in, and then in refinement of the CRISPR techniques, was able to get some accuracy so that these T cells were able to successfully find and destroy cancer cells. And that must be very specific to that specific cancer. I mean, that sounds like to me the most exciting part of it is that you're not going to be having T cells or, you know, you know, damage any other cells in the body, which, of course, is a big problem when it comes to other therapies that are not so specific. Yeah. And T cells engineered with viruses in this way, it's already uh, there's already been treatments that have passed FDA approval to combat certain types of leukemia and lymphoma. So like you said, very specific types of cancer. And when we're thinking about, you know, how do we do this at scale, if we go like a more traditional route of developing viral vectors to transport DNAs, that takes a long time and is really expensive. So this method of using CRISPR is going to be a lot cheaper, potentially, and it could be a huge breakthrough for immunotherapy. But you're still going to be, you know, using an individual cell. So you still need to essentially create a designer uh, application for each person. No doubt. But because CRISPR operates pretty quickly on the, in the grand scheme of things and has at least this uh, technique in early stages has a high degree of accuracy, you can do that a lot faster than uh, developing generic viral vectors in a central lab and then doing 
uh, extra processing on them. So do they see this as potentially curing that particular cancer in an individual or a treatment that, you know, would be in, in addition to other ways of fighting it? I mean, you know, scientists, cure is a word that isn't often thrown about, you know, willy nilly. So I believe this is much more considered on the treatment level. And this is very still very early in terms of its its overall you know, uh, development into uh, drugs on the marketplace. That all being said, this is, you know, this is the holy grail of precision medicine that is, uh, you know, personalized, targeted to individual cancers. And maybe you have to be on this regimen for a little while, but it's going to have a lot less side effects potentially than a chemotherapy, radiation, or other treatments that exist now. Yeah, I just always hope whenever we talk about personalized me- medicine, I think about all those people who don't have health insurance in the U.S. or you know who are who are poor and can't can't afford care, and whether this is going to be something that is really going to be reserved for people who are well off, or because it's so personalized, or is it something that you know can have wide a widespread effect? Yeah, that's a question that we don't have the answer to, and and I think it's a totally fair question uh, question to bring up in the context of any of the developments of of these treatment regimen. I think the one thing that gives me a lot of hope is there's a lot of indication from Marson's lab that this process is fast, and to me, fast means cheap too. Mm-hmm. And if the development of the treatment is fast and relatively cheap, you would hope that means the actual treatment to the consumer. Uh, reflect some of that, uh, some of those economic savings as well. Yeah. I mean, hopefully the insurance companies will see the benefit and, uh, you know, put their money where their mouth is. <laughs> um, so speaking of decision making, what is like the one thing that you feel that you often do that really isn't in your best interest? So, you know, for example, when you're going over one of the bridges in, in the Bay Area that have a toll booth, do you ever find yourself like picking the slow toll booth and then not changing lanes. Well, I like this analogy better than what instantaneously popped in my head, which is like eating the entire carton of Ben and Jerry's ice cream. But um, <laughs> for, sure, for sure, especially anytime I've, I'm feeling like anxious or in a rush, I'm very conscious of like how quick that lane is moving. But actually, uh, choosing an ice cream flavor is a great example because have you ever have you ever had that that feeling where you know you've got all this choice? It's really difficult to make a choice. You finally choose it. You take a bite, and it's not quite as good as you think it should be. <laughs> and instead of like throwing it away and not using up those calories, you eat it anyway. Oh sure, I know the I know especially the second half. You eat yeah. it anyway. I know that real well. <laughs> so uh, this is part of what psychologists call the sunk cost fallacy, which is when you hesitate or refuse to get out of a bad or not so good situation because you've already put the time or money or effort into it. So even though, you know, eating the ice cream or picking the wrong toll booth is, is a fairly benign uh, example of it, there are times in which people, you know, make poor decisions that really have long-term consequences. So, you know, you could go to the extreme of sticking with a marriage uh, because even though you're unhappy, because you've put all this, you know, time and money and effort and emotion uh, into making a decision to be with this person um, or sticking with a job that you don't like. I think about gamblers a lot. Like, oh, if I just I, I just stay at this table, I'll eventually get paid back. That's right. I and lost. 
And 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 you've you've hit on exactly the important thing is that we think that the future is going to change, right? That like if we keep doing this, eventually our luck is going to shift, right? Eventually, you know that that toll booth lane is going to be faster. You know the the stock is going to go back up. Uh, people don't sell when a stock is falling down, even though that's exactly when they should be selling, right? Because they don't want to have to absorb that cost. So we think we're protecting our future selves, but in reality. What we're trying to do is protect ourselves from feeling the regret of the decision, which already happened in the past. We've already made that decision. And the emotions that we're going to feel are there whether we want them to be or not. And of course, the more you've paid for it, whether it's emotional or financial or with respect to time, the harder it is to let go. So, you know, one of my favorite um, neuroeconomists, Dan Ariely, has a great experiment uh, showing just how ridiculous this is. Um, So he had people choose between paying a penny for a Hershey's Kiss or 15 cents for a lint truffle. Uh, So what would you pick? Hershey's Kiss. (laughs) Well, you would be in the minority. Most people would rather splurge for the truffle uh, because it's just so much tastier than the Hershey's Kiss. Um, And then he set up another booth where now the Hershey's Kisses were free, but the truffles were 14 cents. So rationally, they're they're the same difference in cost, right? But now most people pick the free kisses because why pay for something if you can get something else for free? And so this is an, another example of the sunk cost fallacy that we're, we we actually we don't want to pay the pain or, or feel the pain of paying for something. Um, so that's why we accumulate lots of crappy free stuff, uh, even though you know we wouldn't necessarily pay for it. But we wouldn't, and we don't actually want those things around in our house. And um, this theory has been around for a little while. And as you cited, it off cited in economics to explain why we don't save enough money for a retirement, for example. What's what's new? Yeah. So do you think this is something that is restricted to humans? It feels like a very human thing to me, right? Yeah, you would think so, because it just requires, you know, kind of a higher level of thought. Yeah. And also to, you know, consider multiple out- outcomes. It, it, it requires us to think about our future selves. Um, but apparently rats and mice are just as susceptible. Um, so this week there was a paper published in uh, Science from the University of Minnesota, and they actually did uh, a couple of experiments, one with rodents and one with humans. And the rodents, uh, the, their version was that they had a maze that had four arms. Uh, and in each of these arms, the rat could get or the mouse could get food. They, they actually looked at both rats and mice. And when they got when when the animal would get into the arm, uh, they would play a tone, an auditory tone, uh, and that would sort of give the animal a hint as to how long they would have to wait for the food to appear. And then the animals had to decide, okay, am I going to stay in this arm and wait for the food, or am I going to go somewhere else and 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 not have this food? And it turns out that once they heard the, the tone and they made the decision, the re- the rodents were more likely to stick around in the arm. If they were if they were there for longer, so the longer they spent in the arm, the less likely they were to go and seek food somewhere else. Even if they knew that a tastier food, um, like you know, like a cherry flavored, uh, uh, you know, fruit cereal thing, <laughs> Fruit Loop, uh, was in an arm which they preferred, and now you know someone gave them an orange one, um, they would still wait for the orange one, uh, even though it is less desirable than the cherry one that's available in the arm next door. How do we know that they're making this sort of like conscious like walkthrough of different scenarios versus what I would expect in in you know the animal kingdom which is well it's going to cost me some energy to go back over there and that just might be too much of a cost for me to walk 
back out. Well, because when all things are held equal, they will go and choose the other fruit loop, right? So, um, so if if they hadn't, if if they if they weren't in a situation in which they had already devoted all this time, uh, and the decision was equal, they would go and and get the more desirable food. Um, so the difference here is that you've got them essentially having already put in the time, uh, and and then they're sort of reluctant to change their mind. So. In the same paper, the authors had a human version. And in this case, the reward was a video that they could watch. So we've all been in the situation where we're waiting for a a video to download from the internet. And of course, there were varied wait times uh, for each download. And sure enough, uh, the longer that the humans waited for the download, the less likely they were to give up and go and look for a different video, once again, showing the sunk cost fallacy. So if you've already put in the time, uh, you're much less likely to go and, and, and give it up in order to f- go after a, a different video. This is so weird. It, it, like, it still doesn't make any sense that mice would have this same processing of time. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's so much time as if like they already have this sense. I mean, certainly they can process time because we know that they they won't wait indefinitely for something that they think is not coming. Um, but you know, there is this the sense that that they kind of make these decisions on the basis of how much effort they're or you know time they've already put in, which I think is interesting. And again, you know, I, I don't think mice and rats are conscious the way humans are conscious. I don't think they're certainly you know certainly sitting there thinking, oh man, you know, if I just if I just waited out one more minute, uh, I you know I can't let this go. Um, I think that there's just maybe something that's already kind of wired into the way that we make these decisions where, you know, the more we put into something, the less likely uh, we are to give up. I guess the only real lesson is always choose the Hershey kiss. (laughs) Yes, apparently you are not as susceptible to the sunk cost fallacy. So that's it for Up to Date for this week. Uh, On Monday, our interview is going to be with Zach Schonbrunn, who is a journalist and author who's going to be talking about how neuroscience is redefining athletic genius, uh, one of my favorite subjects. See you then. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car. It's the two-door coupe that was there for your first drive. The hatchback that took you cross-country and back. And the minivan that tackles the weekly carpool. For the cars you couldn't live without, trust Amica Auto Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy.